Welcome to the Alliance Bible Church Podcast. We exist to be a healthy community, living and sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and nations. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. How's that? We on? Great, great. Well, welcome to Alliance Bible Church. As uh, Aaron mentioned, we're going to be opening a series in Nehemiah. Um, thanks to Pastor Landon for the video, as he uh, so aptly put it. One of the interesting things about Nehemiah is it's one of the later books in the Old Testament and gives us a picture at some of the latter stages of Israel before Jesus Christ comes to spread his redemption from what had initially been God's chosen nation and to fulfill the promises he made to Abraham. He's going to extend the gospel to the world in a broad and a powerful way. Um, one of the, every book of the Bible fits into a storyline that points forward to what Jesus did in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. Um, oftentimes, if you find scholars who are reading through Nehemiah, one of the points in that timeline that you'll see, um, One of the reasons that folks point to the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in a timeline is that there's a lot of lessons on leadership, transition, and restoration in the life and the times of these two semi-heroes of our story, Jesus being, of course, um, the absolute hero of the story. Um, Nehemiah has its roots in the narrative in the Old Testament of the northern tribes getting carried away by the nation of Assyria. Um, The event is responsible for what's known in the New Testament as the Samaritan peoples, as the Jews um, inbred with folks of the Assyrian nation. Ironically, that those Samaritan people would later 
offer fierce opposition to the rebuilding of a wall. So what you're seeing here is two separate people groups, one forced by conquest to be a part of another, a third independent people group formed, which neither of the first two want to affiliate with, and then they're all in conflict together. So that's the historical background of it all. Sadly, this story takes place as a fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah who predicted that the empire of Babylon would be used for God's judgment to take the people of Israel into captivity for, their breaking, for the Israel breaking their promises to God. There was rampant social injustice. In Jeremiah, we understand that Israel is worshiping Canaanite gods which Jeremiah introduces the language to Israel, the language of Israel being a prostitute, no longer faithful to her husband. Um, there's difficult years of a struggling community. A number of leaders appear in this pioneer community, the forefront of which is Ezra and Jeremiah, and they bring this message that God is faithful, that he's watching, and that he's sustaining them by grace in the midst of being an alien people without a home. One of the interesting things that's repeated in Nehemiah that we see throughout the Old Testament and then again in the New Testament is oftentimes when God wants to use a man, that man is found amidst cultural rubble. He gets a mission. He steps out in faith and gets to a point where he has to lean on God through it all and able to complete a work that's beyond his power to complete. In Ezra and Nehemiah, there's also a, a pattern to how that story is told. That's the overwhelming narrative, but God moves the leader to move. They meet that opposition, and then there's this kind of convoluted climax, which reminds me of much of our lives, right? Never... That, that, that we go from one trial into another and one season into a next with ultimately God bringing the victory, but us having to navigate these seasons of life, these ups and these downs, where to step in and lead, when and how to find God's support and providence in that. We start out Nehemiah in verse 1 with what's a part of the Bible titled, A Report from Jerusalem. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakalah, now, it happened in the month of Chislev. Chislev, you guys all know that month, right? Right? It's, it's the end of the year. It's sometimes, sometime around November or December. It's when they celebrate Hanukkah. That time marker is going to come back later in the story. So I just mention it now because it's going to be important later. In the 20th year, I was in Susa the Citadel when Han and I, one of my brothers, that may be his literal brother, that may be sort of a brother in the community, um, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the exile. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Right? Their community had had their temple torn down, their walls broken, the fulfillment of the prophecy. They knew there was another promise that was made about Israel's ultimate health and ultimate continuance, but where they found themselves right now, it wasn't feeling like that promise was going to be fulfilled anytime soon. He goes on to say, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. 
Now, when we think of gates or walls today, often that reference has a negative connotation to it, right? In fact, we say as part of the church, hey, we don't want to build walls to others, right? We want to build bridges. Even in our political climate, there's arguments going on right now as to whether or not we should build a wall. I don't think that this story is ultimately about that political argument. Um, In that day and age, that wall represented security, the ability to protect and defend yourself, the ability for Israel to be a sovereign nation, Walls, in that sense, are referred to as positive things in the Bible. In Proverbs 25, the Bible even says, Like a city whose walls are broken down, so is a man without self-control. A man without self-control can't be productive. He can't be fruitful. He can't serve God well. He's always melting down and destroying things. He won't have healthy relationships. He won't have a healthy career. In this sense, having broken walls was negative, was a very powerful negative. Walls represented that fortitude, that safe future, and that ability to control the threats around you and keep them at bay. In that sense, I would say there's some ways where the church actually looks to have established walls around itself today. We live in a time where culture is going a lot of different directions with our views on humanity, purpose, sexuality, goodness, giving, identity. And while we want to build inroads for people to have relationships with us and connect with us, We're not going to find our identity on the same page as theirs. We're not going to be able to have all of those ideas in our house cohabitating with what God says about our purpose and our calling and our life. Nehemiah, um, God has a redemptive purpose that in light of God's plan, there was a value in people and a value in their community But he was going to need to erect those walls and that community within it to support their flourishing. Nehemiah, my first point in that is when Nehemiah comes to this point of recognizing the walls are broken down, the first thing he does is he engages grief as a step to restoration. He engages grief regarding what's been lost as a step to restoration. Verse 4 says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God in heaven. When you read through the Gospels, the book of Acts, the epistles, the entire Old Testament, pretty much anywhere in the Bible, you'll see God's people continually in peril. Whether it's Paul being lowered out of a window in the book of Acts, Israel under attack in some of the Old Testament stories, or even in the perfection of the garden and an invasion by an evil serpent, there is conflict between good and evil throughout this whole story. Gideon is forced to reduce his forces before going to war with a more formidable foe. 
God's people find themselves in circumstance after circumstance where there's no hope but for a miracle. When God's people went out into the desert and were trapped by the Egyptian army, God had to part the ocean for them to get through. God keeps putting his people in these, let's be honest, unreasonable situations. Like, why would you put your kids in that? But they keep us in circumstances. He keeps us in circumstances where we have to learn to trust him, where we can't rely on ourselves any longer. The plus side to that, it's always an adventure being on mission with God. In this case, Israel had been um, sent into exile due to sin in their community. They had a, but still, they had this corporate sense of solidarity, solidarity that even though Nehemiah was not living in Jerusalem, and Nehemiah wasn't experiencing the brokenness in community that those who lived there would, he still had a deep sense of grief at God's house being in disarray, at God's people hurting and unsafe. There should be that sense of solidarity amongst God's people. We should feel the losses of our community or, or even the losses of the community that isn't in our backyard. I heard it, it said, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't parse which one of these two phrases is true, but the 20th century either had more martyrs than any century ever or more martyrs than the cumulative previous 18 centuries. 19th centuries. I I tried to parse statistics on that, but one of those statements seems to be true. No matter what the number is, just doing a little internet research, you can see that there's still persecution alive today, that God's people and God's house still suffers in areas. Even in our own community, there's churches not far from here hurting And every week they say about 20 churches in America shutters and closes its doors. When somebody in our community hurts, we should hurt for them. When somebody in our community suffers, we can feel that too for them. Despite the culpability of Israel that on their own behalf they were sent into exile, Nehemiah felt broken at the sight of God's chosen community in trouble. Isn't that interesting? See, for the most part, we're rarely broken over things that don't have directly to do with us. Usually when we're broken, it's over some personal loss or tragedy. We have a hard time feeling, having feelings for, you know, institutions that are broken, ideas and principles that aren't supported any longer. However, if you want to see rebuilding going on in this life or in this church or in this community, you must be accessible to the sense of brokenness around us, to have that concern connected to your heart to realize that it's not necessarily about our church or about lost people or about the kingdom. Um, 
But if we don't, if we, I'm sorry, if we don't realize it is about our church and our kingdom and our God, then we're not going to come to God in the sense of brokenness where his supernatural power will lift us up and out of that. It's been said that God uses broken things, that it takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength, and it is a broken alabaster box even that gives perfume. It's Peter weeping bitterly at the thought of his own walk away from God who comes back more powerful than he ever was before. My second point, Nehemiah turns to prayer when things get hard. Nehemiah turns to prayer when things get hard. Verse 5, he says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night and the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. You know, it's been said that prayer is the greatest force on earth. Jesus said, Verily I tell you, whoever believes in me and the works I have been doing, you will do these things, even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, that you may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. This comes on the heels of Jesus saying, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here, and it will be moved. Nothing is impossible for you. God Almighty on high who came down to earth said, here's the most powerful thing I can give you. Prayer. Direct access to the Father prayer. See, the power of prayer doesn't come from the posture of our bodies or how well our words are spoken. It comes from the power of the one that we offer our prayers to. It's also, it's been said that we rarely grasp the full potential and strength of the power of prayer that's available to us. We often go on about our daily activities and forget that we are united in Christ. We're connected with him as we are to our head, and that we as his church are designed to express the fullness of his meekness and power here on earth. In Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 23, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance inheritance in his holy people. And that is incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all authority, power, and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything 
in every way. Well, we, we would, anybody who's been walking with Jesus for a while would know this in our heads, that prayer has incomparably great power, that Christ is seated at God's right hand and hears our petitions to him, that Jesus defeated Satan at the cross and holds throne over all powers on earth and above. But if I were to take a poll, despite us all knowing that, I'd guess there's times where we want for that kind of power in our life. That we would want, the Bible, the word the Bible uses, dunamis, it's the word where we get dynamite from. We would want for that kind of dunamis in our prayer life. See, the praying for which, that which makes a powerful prayer ministry is not like kind of doing life, but with a little zest of prayer on top that gives life that little bit of flavor. That's not the kind of prayer life we're referring to. It's the praying that's deep in your body, in your person, in your heart, and in your soul. Prayer is not a petty duty to be put into a corner, not a piecemeal performance out of which the fragments of time can be snatched from other businesses and put into some kind of divine motion. But it means the best of our time, the heart of our time, to which our strength must be given. Yet, despite the epic need and power of prayer, some people feel that prayer is kind of out of place in our society. With all of our technical advancement, prayer only impedes our action and is, quite honestly, time on my schedule that I don't want to otherwise occupy. But in spite of these criticisms, Nehemiah has found that it's prayer that sustains us, especially when we are overwhelmed it's our nature as humans that we would turn to him more deeply in times of need. On this subject, one spiritual writer said, our spirit, are, our spirit is released according to our degree of brokenness and need for him. The one who has accepted the most discipline is the one who can best serve. The one who is most broken is the most sensitive to God's motion in his life. Nehemiah lifts up both his personal and his community's sense of responsibility before God. He has this concept of corporate solidarity. It's not pushed so hard that it interrupts a sense of individual responsibility, but it places a balance between himself as part of the people, owning the sins of the community and his personal role to play in seeing redemption in those things. In regard to challenges and challenging times, Chesterton said this, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, it's been found difficult and untried. His point being that when things are hard, we can either lean like Nehemiah further into prayer, or we can get busy and try to get things done and work ourselves 
out of difficulty. My third point is that Nehemiah has faith in God's promises. Nehemiah has faith in God's promises. Verse 7, he says, We've acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, statutes, and rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you amongst the peoples. But if you return to me, if you keep my commandments and do them, though you are outcasts in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen and make my name and dwell there. See, before the books of Nehemiah, there's both prophecies about Israel being scattered and prophecies about Israel being redeemed. I'm sure in Nehemiah's day and age, it seemed like those two things were conflicting. Like, Lord, okay, we definitely see our part in the sin, our part in the idolatry, our part in this fall, but if you're promising redemption, like, why not bring it right now? And it didn't happen right now. And they probably prayed that again. Well, Lord, there's these promises for redemption. Why don't you bring it right now? And it didn't happen right now. And they prayed that again. See, God was making them wait. And sometimes, as part of his redemptive process, he has reason for making us wait. If we're to look at Nehemiah for reasons... One of the big reasons may just be this prayer. Prayer. God's promises for the future seldom come to pass until someone catches the vision and works with God in making that future a reality. Nehemiah, in showing that faith in God's promises, took that first step in being that guy. And though these verses highlight the divine human relationship and God is the ultimate actor in bringing his promises to fruition, Nehemiah knows that God chooses someone to represent him on earth to bring to reality what God wants to do. See, faith like that throughout human history has been a thread working to keep our faith moving forward. And like a car doing donuts on the lawn, God weaves his own plans directly over the plans of other worldly leaders. He calls us to meet him, that divine actor in human history, as he pursues the lives and souls that are aligned with his processes Reading through the Bible from beginning to end, we'll see that as a constant theme, that God is our pursuer, that God will serve as our, in, in metaphorical language, our husband and we as his bride. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, pursuing our hearts today to be more in line with him. He's unchangeable. He is loving and compassionate towards us, and we can have a great confidence in that. God is absolutely for us. He wants us to succeed, 
And it makes it easier to have confidence in fulfilling our purpose and destiny here on earth when he knows that when we know that he has called us and ordained for us to succeed. In verse 10, it says, For these, these people are your servants, whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, this is an interesting prayer because it kind of happens over a time fade, um, like a fade in the movie. But when this prayer starts, it's one month. And we'll see in a couple of sentences, by the time this prayer ends, it's four months later. When he's talking about grant him mercy in the sight of this man, it fa- it's going to fast forward us to an appointment four months in the future. My fourth point being in those four months, Nehemiah's prayer has resulted in action. Nehemiah's prayer has resulted in action. He spent four years cultivating his heart towards God and working out pieces of this transition and God's purpose and what does this all mean as the first steps to rebuilding the wall. He's called upon this divine partnership. And he said that this prayer is not to overcome. It's been said that prayer is not meant to overcome God's reluctance but to lay hold of his willingness in helping us move forward into his purposes. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the depths of our heart. But the conclusion of prayer, and an essential element in concluding that prayer, is to turn that prayer into action to move beyond our own personal needs, fears, and desires, and to start to move along with God to pursue his purposes in the world. Let me put it this way. God's telling us, look past ourselves. Look to his purposes. Look at the need in the world around you. Not to just pray for our own need, but to let God start to stir up our hearts about who we can pray for, who we can love, who we can meet and share the gospel with. Enlightened by Scripture and the Holy Spirit, we can become aware of what God is asking us and how we need to act in the world, no matter how small or how large His plan is for us and for our community. How do we respond in light of all of this? In light of unpacking God's previous history in Nehemiah's life, meeting him at a place where his community is broken, and he's seeking clarity for himself and his people. One thing we can do, we can start to identify in our own community areas where our community life isn't strong. In Nehemiah, there was a very clear picture. Hey, here's where the wall is broken. Very visible to everybody. Right? His brothers were talking about it. They were telling stories about it. This wall, very visibly broken. Sometimes our walls aren't quite as visible as 
the walls that Nehemiah was trying to fix. And sometimes they're in disrepair or they're broken. Allow yourself, like Nehemiah, to start to feel broken about them. To know that God is broken about these things. His plan is for redemption, not for broken walls. A second thing you can do, meditate on Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. Ask yourself, how much of the power of God do you feel that you access in your prayer life? If you don't feel that you can access all of God's character or, as that verse puts it, incomparably great power to all those who believe, start a conversation with God. Ask Him why. God, you promise incomparably great power to all those who believe. Why not me right now? Third thing you can do. Engage Him regularly with passionate prayer. Not kind of like, like, when, like if, if prayer was a meal, we're not talking about like that, the bowl of cheese that you take a snack from. We're talking about prayer as like the seven-course banquet. All right? You got the warm-up. You got all the forks. You don't even know which one goes first. You got the snacks. You got the hors d'oeuvres. You got the drinks. You got the prayerful banquet. Nehemiah had a banquet of things to be in prayer for. Himself, his own culpability, the community, their brokenness, the past history that led us to that time. Discernment how to lead forward. A divine appointment that could go way sour, we'll see next week. All of these things met in four months of prayer, too long to record that we just get a couple of paragraphs. Four months, prayer, fasting, intercession, ending with divine appointment with the supreme leader of the world at that time. That's the kind of prayer we're talking about. As we go here today, just a couple things to snack on. We'll be going through Nehemiah up until about Easter, give or take, depending on how quickly we get through some things. But I wanted to start us off with a story from the Bible about a guy trying to rebuild some things. And guess what? He needed some divine help in that. Can anybody relate? Amen. Let me close this in prayer. Holy Father, lift up this day to you, O Lord. God, we... We ask that your sense of direction would be alive and moving in our community, Lord. God, we seek you both collectively as a community, asking for your direction, for your purposes. Where would you would lead us in the future in terms of leadership choices and missions to undertake and sense of purpose? Lord, we ask for your clear and resounding feedback on those things. Lord, we, we thank you for your gospel that it's come here to us, that it's spread, Lord, that we know that we're sinners in need of a Savior, that you offered that to us on the cross with your redemptive work. And Lord, we say yes to you. God, we ask for you to offer us that sense of regeneration in other broken areas of our life, that the gospel wouldn't just be that first moment where we accept you in faith, 
but be the ever-going process of redemption in all the areas of our life where our walls are broken down. Lord, we lift up to you our future. We ask you for, that you would give us each the confidence to lean in you as we take steps forward as a community, that you would direct us each individually, that you would teach us to love passionately more like you and help us to learn from Nehemiah. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for checking out the podcast today. We hope you've enjoyed it. For more information, you can visit alliancebible.church.